This week on episode 490 of Priority One, we trek out Star Trek's Cigarette Smoking Man, Gersh's Mirror, the not-easiness of being green, and rumors. In Star Trek Gaming, use the word Halcyon when previewing the new recon ships before interviewing Star Trek Online's executive producer, Andre Emerson. Then we look on screen to review Discovery's Season 3 episode, Terra Firma, Part 1. RPN, the Roddenberry Podcast Network. Codes verified. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secure channel. Hello, Captains. You're listening to episode 490 of Priority One, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Your last recap and review of all the major news happening in the Star Trek multiverse for the year 2020. This episode was recorded in part live on Tuesday, December 15th, 2020, and available for download or streaming on Friday, December 18th at PriorityOnePodcast.com. I'm Elio. I'm Kat. I'm Tony. And in our technical booth is our live stream technician extraordinaire, Brandon. Hey, guys. All right, guys. It's the final episode of 2020. What a year. We were working from home. We had to trans. Oh, we didn't have to transition. We didn't have We've to tra- already been doing it. Oh, yes. Yeah. This is our bag. We do this. This is our bag indeed. Indeed. Captains, each week between episodes, we love to engage in conversations with you, our listeners, on places like Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. So if you aren't already following us on any of those, be sure to look us up. There we post things like community questions, special announcements, and more. To search for Priority One Podcast on your favorite social media app and you will find us or you can email us reach us at incoming at priorityonepodcast.com captains 490 episodes we are nearing our 500th but none of it would be possible without the community of volunteers who donate their time and talents to producing this show i'm talking from my co-hosts to our live stream technician who also doubles as one of our audio editors, to the rest of the audio team that works tirelessly to clean up the live stream to then produce a show on Friday that you listen to. I mean, so much work is put into the show. I'm forgetting, you know, our producers. There are so many people and don't worry. Graphic artists. Don't don't worry. Yes. Web don't guys. worry. I will get through all of that in our end of year blooper extravaganza. Until then, though, I do want to remind you that this is, in fact, a community driven podcast like community theater. We rely on our patrons to offer support so that we can continue to produce the quality content you've come to expect each and every week to then support the entire team. It really takes a small army of volunteers to produce a show like ours from week to week, and we could really use your help. If you'd like to join the team, we're looking for audio editors who can spare two or three hours a week to help edit one of our segments, or if you're into video editing, someone who might be willing to clean up our live stream so that we can publish it as a video companion to the podcast. Well, well, Captains, it does take a small army, but the only way to make it better is to add one more person to that army. To that end, we would like to have another host join us in 2020. 
during during this year, there's been a lot of challenges, and we talked a lot about those important challenges that we face as a society. And one of the things that we decided to do is not just talk the talk, but walk the walk and have another inclusive voice added to our rotating cast of characters. Captains, that's right. It's important for us to know that we're holding ourselves accountable and to the same standards that we expected others to meet. So if you are a member of the BIPOC and or LGBTQ plus community that wants to have a platform to voice their opinions and ideas about Star Trek, then consider applying today. Just visit PriorityOnePodcast.com and right up at the top, there's a link that says join the crew. There you'll see a full description of all the available positions that you can apply to. Now let's check out the latest news from the Star Trek multiverse. I don't know. Then let's trek it out. The Mysterious Stranger is a long-running trope, but it's a pretty cool one. The cigarette-smoking man from The X-Files and Strider from Lord of the Rings come to mind. Men whose motivations are always in question. Now, Star Trek has its own mysterious stranger, and just like so many others, he's a riddle. We're, of course, talking about David Cronenberg's Kovich. This week, Cronenberg sat down with Variety to talk about his new role. Before the interview got rolling, Variety broke the exclusive that Kovich, and, by extension, David Cronenberg, would not only appear in more episodes in Season 3, but will also return for Season 4 of Star Trek Discovery. The 77-year-old Canadian director shared how he got the part of Kovich, telling Variety's Adam Vary, quote, I'm cheap and I'm available. I live in Toronto, and it's being shot in Toronto. I think that's my main qualification. But I just got a note through people that I know, casting people, saying that Alex Kurtzman was really thinking of having me do a spot on the show. I said, of course, I'd be absolutely delighted, end quote. Cronenberg noted that he was an original series fan, but only dabbled in the spinoffs and hadn't watched any of Discovery before joining the show. He never expected to be a part of the franchise, and when asked if he had interest in directing an episode of Star Trek, Cronenberg said bluntly, quote, no, not really. It's a very different kind of directing. It's almost like another job entirely, you know, and that's another thing that I was very interested to see. If I do direct again, it wouldn't be to direct an episode of a series, end quote. For more information about the interview, be sure to check out the link in our show notes. I love his scenes. They're always really well written. Like, I love the dialogue. (laughs) It really helps the show. It does. It most certainly does. (laughs) I also like the stark contrast between everybody who really is interested in their lines and Cronenberg who's just there like, yeah, so, you know, that's how that's going. And, you know, that's the way it is. I saw a very interesting fan theory on Twitter, and I wish I would have written down who said it. Uh, If it wasn't Twitter, it was Facebook, that how awesome would it be if Cronenberg's character ends up being the future man guy in Enterprise? Like, if they manage to write that in. Oh, yeah. Interesting thought, right? Yeah. If If only I had more faith. uh, Of the heart. Of the heart. (laughs) You set that one up for me. I appreciate it. (laughs) Yeah, we can talk more about that in on screen. He's a breath of fresh air, quite frankly, which you wouldn't expect to say about a 70-year-old white guy in funny glasses. But I like him. He's fun. Spoiler alert! If you haven't seen Star Trek Discovery Season 3, Episode 9, Terra Firma Part 1, you may want to skip this story. We're starting now. Much like Georgiou went back to the Mirror Universe, we're going back to Variety. Uh, okay, the two really aren't that much alike, but uh, you know, you get what we're going for here. Uh, this time around at Variety, 
not the Mirror Universe, we hear from Discovery's costume designer, Gersha Phillips, and her reimagining of the Mirror Universe uniforms. Phillips talks about the challenges of her first go-around with the Mirror Universe and her thoughts this time around, telling Jazz Tankray, quote, It's supposed to be an alternative version of what took place the last time we were there, the last time. The team said it was a few days before. The idea was that the Emperor was in her prime. I called it the 2.0 version because this time we wanted to do it better. Last time on our first pass there, we didn't have the time or budget. I talked about wanting to elevate everything. End quote. In talking about designing Georgiou's look, Phillips may have dipped the Trek nugget, saying, quote, We knew we were going to jump to the future because of Michelle Yeoh and how she was getting out of our world and into Section 31, which is the next series, so it was really an early conversation. End quote. If you're interested in costume design, Phillips dives deep into the process, so be sure to check out the link in our show notes for more. You know, I, you know, we haven't taken much time to talk about the costumes and uniforms in this century of Star Trek. That's because they aren't that good until this last episode. <laughs> Well, interesting. You know, that's an interesting point because we haven't talked about it and they haven't been as in your face as they were now in this in this mirror episode that we'll talk about later. But does that say something about the subtleness of the changes to Starfleet's uniforms in this century of Star Trek? That it's not in your face. It's not it's neither angering anyone nor is it exciting anyone. Talking like the Admiral's uniform? Yeah, Admiral's uniform and, you know, the foot soldiers moving around Starfleet. Yeah, I didn't find those. Although, uh, Book complained about the Discovery uniforms <laughs> wearing that, so well, that was funny. I think I like this century's uniforms more than I like Discovery's uniforms. I mean, they just kind of went back to basics for her, right? I mean, there's there's cat suits. I mean, even the Admiral's uniform is a cat suit with flaps on top. That's... <laughs> Not a lot to it. Keeps the rain off your shoulders. Sure, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it keeps the rain off. Programmable matter rain that falls from the ceiling every few minutes. Cleans the floors. Yeah. The the costuming, I mean, uh, half the time people are wearing rags. And then, you know, and the other half the time they're wearing the 23rd century uniforms. And it's just everybody else is in the background, so. Well, I loved the mirror uniforms. but they were fantastic. They are very shiny. I'm like, I want that cape cloak thingy. I want it with the headpiece. (laughs) That's so good. Oh, yeah the Empress of the Sun thing going yes. on there? Yes, yeah. so awesome. It's not that easy being green Having to pillage each day Hearing whining and please When I think it could be nicer Stealing dilithium or gold Without moaning and griping like that It's not that easy being green Having to spend each day hearing slaves beg and plead. When I think it could be nicer to chop off antennas or feed my nephew to a transfer. It's not that easy being green. Poor Osira. All that belly aching she has to listen to. This week, Osira actress Janet Kidder sat down with ComicBook.com to talk about her time in the green makeup and what's next for the leader of the Emerald Chain. Janet Kidder, niece of the late Margot Kidder, discussed Osira's motivations, telling Jamie Lovett, quote, The best for her people, how to create a powerful and strong empire for the race that was typically enslaved. I think it's about just striving to support her people, and I'm not 
saying that she makes the best choices in doing that. She's a tough cookie, but she definitely feels that she's doing it for the best for her people, end quote. As for what's next, Kidder says, quote, they can just definitely look forward to seeing more of her and possibly she puts on her business shoes later on. And you can see her actually stepping up and trying to put into action what she feels is motivating her. She'll be back. She'll be around. I think she's a wonderful character and I just hope that everyone enjoys seeing her as much as I enjoyed playing her. And they'll see lots of stuff from her in later episodes. End quote. Interesting. And that leads us to our first community question this week. What do you think of the Emerald Chain? Are they menacing or do they leave something to be desired? Let us know in the comments section for this episode at PriorityOnePodcast.com or by replying to our community question post on our social media channels like Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Finally this week, it's the Rumor Report! As is always the case, any story that shows up in the Rumor Report should be taken with a grain of salt. So with that said, manifest! Our first story comes from the Spanish-speaking Star Trek website, Nación Trek. On December 9th, the team tweeted an image of a sign that read, Strange New Worlds Cast and Crew Testing Area. According to the translated tweet, quote, The pre-production of Star Trek Strange New Worlds in Mississauga, Canada. Filming will begin in mid-February 2021. End quote. This hasn't been confirmed by anyone, anywhere, so we're calling this a rumor. Though the evidence, including production magazine listings, points to this being accurate. Our next stop is the infamous gossip site, WeGotThisCovered.com. Scott Campbell is reporting, air quotes, that A-lister Chris Evans is in talks to appear in Star Trek. According to the site, quote, insider Daniel Reichman is claiming this week that Chris Evans is in talks to join Star Trek. But the tipster doesn't expand on the role in question or even which of the many projects in development he's interested in, end quote. But that's it. That's the rumor. So which Chris's are would we be missing then? We've got Pine. Hemsworth. Got, oh, no, Hemsworth. he's already been in it. That's all got, the Chris's. Yeah. Oh, Pratt. Isn't there a fourth Chris? Pratt. Chris, Chris, Chris Pratt. 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 We're missing Chris, Chris Pratt. Pratt. That's okay. Right. I, I'm okay to miss Chris Pratt. <laughs> no Andy Dwyer? No Parks and Rec? No? No. 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 Okay. Yeah. I mean, you know, what's Chris Evans kind of working on now that he's not doing uh, Avengers anymore, right? He's like working he's on collecting Captain royalty America. checks from Marvel. That's what he's exactly, doing. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so I don't know. After, you know, I don't know that his uh, his clout is the same as it was before, but it might very well be. He's like, I, this is America's ass. Nah, what clout does he true. need? He doesn't need that's any more true. clout. It's like, that's do you true. want this or not? Well, Captains, that's all the news we have to check out this week. Now let's find out what happened in the world of Star Trek gaming. Cast your minds back to the halcyon year of 2018. We were still hesitant about Anson Mount as Christopher Pike, which, in retrospect, we were all dumb. Picard had been announced to great fanfare at Star Trek Las Vegas, which, in retrospect, let's see what happens with season two. And in 2411, Recon Destroyers hit Star Trek Online and proved that you could never have too many nacelles. The Lafayette and Ketha classes put a jubilant cadence in our hearts, yet allied factions were left out of the fun. The Lafayette and Ketha classes put a jubilant cadence in our hearts, yet allied factions were left out of the fun. At long last, 
Cryptic has addressed that imbalance with the Jem'Hadar, Vanguard, and Romulan Rahi, Recon Destroyer. Now Dominion and Republic captains can unleash hyper-trinary hell on unlucky targets in a faction-flavor-appropriate manner. The Rahe and Vanguard Recon Destroyers are, in all other respects, identical to their Federation and Klingon Defense Force counterparts. For our overall impressions of these Recon Destroyer classes, slingshot around to episode 379 of Priority One Podcast. So what do we think about these uh, these Destroyers? I think they look super cool, although I am kind of bummed there's nothing new really for them since I already have the other two. Uh, but I'm totally going to buy them because that Romulan one looks awesome. Awesome. And, you know, they'll probably be on sale and I just want to have all of them now. But look how cool that Romulan one looks. It's awesome. It does look sleek. Yeah. Wait, why did you say that you you have these are variants of a ship that already happened? or? Yeah, so they released, uh, well, back when we did however many, 20 episodes ago. Uh, 120. 120. Oh, well, you know, math is not my strong suit. So I'm, I'm just saying <laughs> kudos to the producers that went back and dug that out of the archives. Well that, done. That was, yep. Way to go, Panda. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, so we had the Fed version and the KDF version of these already. Uh, so, yeah, these are just the Romulan and Jem'Hadar variants of those. So the traits are the same. The, you know, uh, console is the same. But <laughs> they still look cool, and I'm still going to buy them. Uh, but I also like those ships. I think, uh, you know, the layout is good, and the bridge officer seating is good. Well, that leads us to our next community question this week. What missing ship types for the Romulan and Jem'Hadar factions do you want Cryptic to release next? Remember, answer these community questions on our website at PriorityOnePodcast.com or just wait for our community question posts on social media. Well, Captains, have you been good this year? Yes. No. Is humanity a dangerous, savage child race and all morality an artificial construct anyway? Who cares? It's time to buy stuff. Until January 3rd, Cryptic is selling packs of three Tier 6 ship coupons and three experimental ship upgrades for only 7,500 Zen. But before you drop that Zen, know that the price will change during sales that just might happen during that time. You might want to wait to see if this already great deal gets even better. So 7,500 Zen isn't 50% off per se, but it's at least 16% off, right? So, you know, you're saving 16. some money. 16.666667. That's right. So you're saving some money, right? And and Plus they're throwing in the tier 6 ship coupons. That's right. Which someone has told me is worth $20 US. Plus the upgrades, which those are fantastic. As recently reported by Variety.com, J.J. Abrams' Bad Robot has made a significant hiring to boot up its in-house gaming studio. Bad Robot Games has hired Mike Booth to to GM the new studio tied to the Bad Robot production company. Booth was most recently at Facebook as social VR director, though he's perhaps most well-known as the creator and lead designer of the game Left for Dead. Reporting to Bad Robot Games CEO Anna Sweet, Booth is tasked with developing original games to accompany Bad Robot's film and TV projects. Booth has this to say about his new position, quote, My career has been driven by a desire to innovate new ways of bringing people together for epic adventures online 
online, leaving them with exciting stories they can tell their friends afterwards. The games I create center around people working together to survive and thrive in fantastic worlds, which seems an excellent fit for J.J. Abrams' approach to movie making. End quote. So, uh, all right, there's quite a bit to unpack here. For starters, the fact that Bad Robot is deciding to spin up a game studio. I don't think we're going to see these blockbuster games from franchises that Bad Robot has touched. My guess is that this game studio is going to start doing stuff like Telltale series, right? Because, you know, Bad Robot has... Yeah, it has its big franchises that it's it's been involved with, like Star Wars and Star Trek. But we're also talking about television shows, right? We're talking about Alias, Lost, Fringe, Person of Interest, Castle Rock, Westworld. All these, all these shows that could do well in like a Telltale series style gameplay on Steam or whatnot. Now, Brandon, you play a lot of other games other than than Star Trek Online, of course. Uh, you're excited about this, right? Yeah, I am because uh, he also was uh, of course was part of Left 4 Dead but he also was part of the Evolve team that did the kind of the pioneer of the 4 v, uh, four versus 1 genre of video games nowadays and like he's also done all sorts of uh, cool games like Team Fortress 2 Command and Conquer Red Alert 2 some of these like really classic but iconic games and I don't see him doing something like what Telltale did I see something more along the lines of uh, like an adventure like a first person adventure game yeah, that's kind of like his wheelhouse, I think. So I would totally play a Lost game. That would be amazing if you're on the island and it's it. It seems to me this is more like a, a, a sales point. Like if you're trying to get funding for a movie project, you would tell people, "Well, we're not only going to do the movie, we're also going to do the tie-in video game for it." And you know how much money the games make these days with the kids and the whatnot and the Xboxes and stuff. So it, it seems to me more like there's like this is an arm of the studio that will enhance your brand or provide another revenue stream now that there's no more movie theaters open and we all have to go to HBO Max directly. Uh, so you need to make so you need another revenue stream in order to justify the investment of the movie. So I, I and you know and we're all going to digital backgrounds like the Mandalorian, right? So you create these assets for the production and you just port them over to the video game side and you've already got 3D renders of all the stuff. So it seems to me like they're they're trying to merge all this stuff in and make it a selling point for the studio. I mean there's no doubt that the idea for this is profit. Absolutely no doubt, right? But I hope that it's not a cash grab like the 2013 tie-in movie game that was that was published by Namco back in 2013, right? I mean, the industry has know, moved on, Elio. I certainly on. hope so. I start because it's not often that film tie-in video games do very well. Here's looking at you, Enter the Matrix and Path of Neo, although Path of Neo was arguably a little better. Yeah, it, you know, this guy clearly has a bunch of stuff under his belt and he knows what he's doing. Hopefully this will, hopefully we'll see a, a, a Star Trek or Star Wars game. No. And You don't think? No, no. They're, they're not looking backwards. Like I said, this, this is all about, you know, if you have a two-year or three-year lead time to uh, when you fund a movie to when it actually releases, they're going to find a way to co-produce the tie-in video game that goes with it. Because like I said, if it's all about post-production and digital assets, those things will go hand in hand and they'll time it so that the movie release is ready for the video game. And remember, because JJ, one of the big pieces of 
grief between JJ and Paramount was that they wouldn't give JJ the total control over all the media for Star Trek. This is the sort of this is exactly the sort of thing JJ wanted to do is to hook together all the medias and do a complete blitz of whatever IP uh, he was making a film for. So that I, this is right up his alleyway, and I'm, I'm not surprised to see it. Now, the only thing like I'm curious about is if they're going to make the the uh, game that's under Bad Robots Games, the first one, would be a live service game because live service games nowadays aren't doing so hot. Like you've seen Marvel's Avengers kind of tank, and you've seen Anthem tank as well. So I'm interested in seeing if they're going that route or say no, we're not going to go that route. We're going to do something different. So that's the news from Trek Games this week. Now let's welcome Star Trek Online's executive producer Andre Emerson and community manager Mike Fatum. Security clearance level three or above is required to access files. This is Captain Benjamin Sisko. Authorization Cisco Alpha One Alpha. Logs accessed. Captains, we are thrilled to end our year with two very important guests this week. We're joined by Star Trek Online's community manager, Mike Fatum, and executive producer of Star Trek Online, Andre Emerson. Thank you both for joining us. Yay, <laughs> Yay Andre. <laughs> right back at you. And I and may I say, Elio, you're absolutely right. We are all very happy to end this year. <laughs> that is true. That is true. Although we did make the joke that that ending 2020 could be very much like passing through the Oracle gates in the never ending story. We're still not out of the woods yet. No, there's a lot to do. <laughs> so first off 2020. Yes. What a year. I mean, you know, a lot of people have had to switch to remote work. Andre, why don't you talk to us a little bit about shifting gears into remote development for a game like Star Trek Online? Well, it's like, obviously, when it happens, like th this came about so quickly. And I'll say that we weren't equipped for it because Cryptic is very much a, an on-site studio. Like we have, we have different folks contributing from from different areas of the business at, at different times. But the core development, the day-to-day -day work, it happens right in our office. So when you think about over the course of a few days, going from everything you need being at your desk to no longer going into the office and being able to do everything that you could previously do at work at home. There was definitely an adjustment period, and I would tip my hat to our IT department and HR and everybody that, that helped mobilize to make it possible for us to get hardware and software and licenses and dev kits and everything that we needed to people's homes, along with the ability to securely speak with our with our engine and our back end and our technology and, and everything that we do at work. To be able to, to sort of do that was a huge undertaking, but there's such a passion and, and maturity on the Stowe team in particular that um, I think after a couple of weeks of sort of figuring out um, working across you know, video format and calls and whatnot. I think we actually did a, a pretty darn good job of, of hitting the ground running and understanding that, you know, really the show goes on. When you're a live game, you're live and it's, it's always on, right? So, I mean, ultimately we had to figure out like, is this going to impact our delivery schedule? Is it going to impact scope? Are there certain disciplines of development that are more hindered than others? And, and do we need to change their workloads as a result? And it may sound a little fabricated, but the, but the truth is, as I look back now over, and, and this kicked in for us in March. And when I look back now, you know, at the past nine months or so, you know, we've been able to pretty much hit 
all of our all of our goals you know we pretty much hit most most of our stuff on time a few things got shifted this year but um you know as far as our our content like we we largely delivered everything we wanted to do and that's a huge testament to the team without spoiling anything or is there anything you might be able to share that kind of got pushed off or delayed in in one way shape or form well you, you probably noticed that uh, the last season came out later than normally we would we kind of strive for a cadence that's roughly january may september october something in there you know as a result of the you know spinning up people at home that may release ended up coming later but you know we were cognizant of the fact that it was likely going to happen so in terms of you know sort of shifting some of our events around and some of our other you know activities we were able to create sort of you know plenty to do while we were you know kind of playing the shell game with the with the releases yeah a lot of people um mentioned over the summer this year that it felt like uh Ryza started a lot later than it normally did and yeah it did that's because we we uh had to move um our may release into june as andre mentioned which meant that the other events that were going over the summer got all pushed back which then also pushed back our september release a little bit um and it just was kind of this cascading effect throughout the whole year um but like andre said that's it's a testament to the team that it only was that much people learned and adapted quickly he mentioned this being a you know sort of came on us suddenly what actually happened was we got an email at noon saying there's a stay-at-home order go home (laughs) (laughs) we'll figure something out it will be in contact so it's kind of amazing we got that at our company too yeah (laughs) that's that's amazing you're like okay everybody go home and then you're like what i have still have to work (laughs) yeah what do i what do you need me to do and, and the thing is, too, you know, and related to that is that we had no idea how players were going to respond to this and what it was going to mean. And we feel blessed in a year that's had so many, so much negativity and so many, so much unrest and political and nerve and everything we've, we've been dealing with for, for players to show up as they have. Yeah. We are eternally honored and, and grateful that of, of all the choices that they had to, you know, to spend their time, a lot of them chose to, to play lots of stow over this period. So we're happy they, they came and we're pleased to have been able to hopefully put some good things in front of them to to help get through this. I'm sure there are players currently right now on one screen Cyberpunk and the next screen is Star Trek Online. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting. We, we we've noticed you know just you just comment on that and I've always found this fascinating. We've noticed that where you would expect in a lot of other games, you know, something like Cyberpunk drops and we see a dip in our users. You don't actually see that with STO and I think it's because the people who come and play our game want to play that um, Al called it a Star Trek theme park at STLV last year, which I think is a good, or I call it a permanent Star Trek convention. But just that feeling of, you know, getting to escape the burning, flaming hellscape of a dumpster that's been this year by getting to, you know, go adventure in the final frontier. It's cool to be able to work on that. Andre, before we started recording, you were kind of talking a little bit about how different it is for a game like Star Trek Online, who who, you know, just celebrated its 10th year versus a game in development. And Cryptic Studios is 
a studio. You are producing more than one game. And I think uh, it might uh, benefit our audience to kind of zoom out a little bit and kind of talk about that from, from a perspective of a 10-year-old game versus a game that hasn't even been released yet. Well, we, you know, it's like you try to look for the silver lining. You look for any sort of opportunity that, that you can find. You know, in hindsight, we benefited in the transition to remote work from the fact that, you know, with the, the age, the maturity we have as a, as a live game, we have such subject matter experts on our team and passionate people that after we had a clear sort of marching order that where we wanted to go with everything, everybody really hit the ground running. And, and the benefit of a live game, especially a long running game, is that people really have a strong understanding of what works, what doesn't work. And so, you know, we're not trying to invent a brand new game. You know, it's like if you look across Cryptic, we've got Champions, of course, but we've got Neverwinter, who, that's obviously a live game, and we've got Magic, which, which is in development. The challenges they face as a brand new game trying to find the fun and figure out exactly you know, how they're going to bring their, their game in. For us, it's more about the iterative process. How do we build on what we have? How do we fix some of the things that, that need love? They're both challenges, but they're very different. And, and I'm talking to friends and colleagues across the business, and everybody's trying to rise to that challenge in different ways. It's like, again, like if you're, if you're a new game, you could argue that the format that that we're all working in, you don't get the faces in the room, you don't get the body language, you don't get all the collaboration, the real-time opportunistic water cooler chat and all the stuff that comes with being together. But Stowe definitely benefited from the fact that we know what this game is, we know who the players are, we know sort of what they want and what we can deliver against. So we really benefited from the from experience in that regard. And, and I certainly tip my hat to all the teams out there that are trying trying to deliver a brand new product where you can't have those quick hallway conversations and, and it's a much different beast. Especially true for me as a community manager um, because that was like 85% of my job was making was running into people in hallways and finding out things that I needed to know. <laughs> I've had to, to adapt to uh, finding more ways to, to get information from people. Sure, and sometimes Michael run by and say, hey, what are we doing with this? And, and then I have to think, uh-oh. What, what are we with that? And I, I, <laughs> what is this? Now two of us are running around, and then, and then we'll have a group of five running around. And but we get things done that way sometimes, you know, because not everything makes its way into a document or a spreadsheet. Some opportunities just rise out of a out of, out of a good impromptu idea, and you've got to seize it. And I think we do we do lose some of that digitally because when you think about remote work, when you think about an idea that you might have, instead of just sort of strolling around seeing if you can get some, you know evangelizing, trying to get some buy-in in, in the in the group. You have to think about like, should I schedule a meeting? Do I want to waste their time? Do I get a bunch of people on video to, to ask them if they like this harebrained scheme that I came up with, you know? So you do lose that. You know, I think the longer, you know, people either voluntarily or via pandemic are in this format, people are going to continue to evolve and get better at it. And I would say the past several months, and I'm not talking about burnout or any of the sort of the emotional and, and mental challenges that come with the isolation and whatnot. But just in terms of pure work product, we continue to get sort of more optimized and, and communicating well through this. Andre, you talked about the K 
cadence of releases a little while ago, the game seems to have shifted from the long-form content seasons to discrete tentpole events. Talk to us a bit about the strategy and how has it helped improve the overall engagement from players? Well, it, it, it's a great question. And I think, you know, prior to my, like when I joined Cryptic, I've been in the games business for, I believe March, uh, this coming March will be my 26th year. You know, some folks on forums and stuff like that, it's like, uh, you know, they, they may reference, uh, sometimes not so fondly, uh, you know, like mobile. Work. But I, I must remind everybody that mobile was like this tiny sliver of, of my, entire career so um, and yes I do think there are certain practices and things there that uh, you know let's put it this way I'm, I'm no longer in mobile um, <laughs> you know to your question yeah, it's really interesting because when I first got to cryptic I think uh, my anniversary is actually um, this month um, I actually think it might be this Friday it will be three years and so I showed up right when we were in the in the home stretch of X4, uh, which is victory is life for those of you who don't speak in internal. <laughs> and you guys, you know, you're aware of, of the content and what was in there. And we realized at the time that our format was going to have to change a little bit because, well, for one, most of those expansion packs, because Stowe had never run in parallel with a live show before, so there was no like hot opportunistic things to take advantage. Of. All the X-Packs were based on uh, on sort of existing fiction that's been around for, for many, many, many years. So, like, if you look at our, our Age of Discovery arc, for us to have waited to learn as much as we did about Discovery and then start development on it, the timeliness of it would have shifted, you know, arguably out of some relevancy in terms of, like, the, the synchronization with the show. So the approach is more for us to be, it's really more, agility based you know it's like between lower decks and picard and discovery and and strange new worlds everything that's coming we want to be whether it's whether it's ships whether it's items armor weapons costumes <laughs> like whatever it ha happens to be when we commit to a full expansion it ties up everybody for a long chunk of time and it doesn't make as much sense for us to build that way while there's so much uh new live trek happening and we did a little bit um like andre was talking about with the pivoting you saw you know with age of discovery we sort of pivoted to that season as it was going um and you can correct me if i'm speaking wrongly here andre we're, we're, we've we've moved to a bit Bit more of a format of telling an STO-ish story, you know, but working in aspects from the show when we can and when they make sense, uh, which I think has been really interesting and exciting. Well, yeah, like in our conversations with with CBS now now Viacom CBS, there is a an ongoing effort to bring the partners together. It's not always easy to do because we're all working on very different schedules and where we are at any given point. It's sort of hard to align everything, but we do communicate. And we do aspire to do complementary stuff. Like in our case, you know, we look at, I'm sure this is pretty obvious from, from a lot of the, the narrative you'll see in the game, but, you know, we look for opportunities in the shows, in the books, in the novels, and in the, in the comics. We look for things that were compelling or interesting that the show in this particular case may have decided not to move forward with, but we see an opportunity not just to sort of pay service to the show, but to tie it into something that, you know, maybe exists in, St in Stowe's storytelling 
explore just to to keep sort of um, solidifying the uh, you know sort of sort of the conduit between all the all the narrative strings. So we've been talking about obviously this resurgence in Trek, right? Both in CBS All Access, you know, we had the films. I mean, I'm sure that that has helped Star Trek Online in so many ways, bring in a new audience. But in relation to that cadence, right? That every few months there's a tentpole event or or, or whatnot. How do you want to keep people in the game in between those events, right? Because it's it's obviously appealing, right? Somebody watches an episode of the latest Discovery. They want to log into the game and and create their own story. They play the the recent featured episode, and then there's a bit of a gap. Talk to us about that whiteboard of keeping players engaged in between these events. Well, one of the things we've we've tried to do, and I'm sure you're, you've seen this, is that we've been doing a lot more events and a lot more events that we hope players are seeing as having meaningful reward for participating. And so, you know, when you look at the replay value of the type of storytelling that we've chosen to do for Stowe, because it's very, it's generally very linear, it allows us to tell more powerful stories, but inherently it doesn't have a lot of baked in replay value. So like, if you remember, you know, like around the time I got here, I don't know how long it had been going before, but we had like the featured episode. You would play the episode every week for a few weeks and there'd be new rewards attached. But some of the feedback we were getting is that, I mean, it's kind of like watching the latest episode of a show like three times over three weeks. You know, it's not, the format was, it was fine, but we sat down and said, well, if we're going to ask players to to engage in something, why don't we try to choose something that's inherently replayable and not just laying out like a, a story that you've been told. So we felt like the TFOs, and if you notice, we've done more and more patrols lately too, that those have gotten a huge uh, B12 shot, you know, since, since I've been around. We wanted to pick things where if you're going to play it multiple times, at least with the TFOs, um, you're going to be playing with other people. It's the type of content that, like if you look at any multiplayer game, for the most part, that content is meant to be played with different people. You're going to see a different mix of ship and ships. You're going to see a different... And it's going to be different every time because you're playing it with different people. You're going to see a lot of different that you're never going to see when you're playing a piece of narrative-driven content like an episode. So we laid out a format that was basically targeted at three narrative releases a year and have that bridged by what we're calling event campaign. And those are going to be a combination of new TFOs. They're going to be re- masters and we want to attach very meaningful rewards to it and if you look at the last uh, couple we've done two now one on console two on pc the first time i think we did uh like a ship coupon or something yeah it was a free t6 ship the first time second time we did low buy and or or rather or a uh, ship coupon in, in a smaller amount of low buy and the claim rate on that the number of players who actually achieved the meta is incredible like i'd put that up against almost any game out there. The retention of players sticking with that was was incredible. We now want to reward that by, by raising the ante on the rewards, and we are currently planning for the next event campaign. We're working through the, the details now, but it will likely be a choice of lockbox or promo ship. As part of an ongoing goal to put more things that have been previously out of reach for players, whether it be financial reasons, whatever, putting more direct ways to get these things that are about fantasy fulfillment into their hands. So 
at a minimum look for this next uh, event campaign to offer um, a really high-end premium ship. You know, we've been doing this podcast almost as long as you guys have been producing the game. I was going to say longer than either Andre or I have been on the game. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's true. I find myself having to kind of step back a moment and remember I've been playing this game for over 10 years. I have, you know, and, and my colleagues have. So sometimes we get a little confused about something or, or we, we have a hard time really understanding the approach. Sure. With that Star Trek resurgence, right, with people watching Discovery and then wanting to go in, do you find your attention split between the more veteran players and then possibly new incoming players is perhaps the goal? Obviously, it's a free-to-play game, but we still need to make money. And so we have to adjust things to try to lure these potential new players. I definitely would say that, um, you know, looking forward, well, we always really have been, but um, we will, we're going to focus more on end game looking forward because when I got in, when I first started, the team had acknowledged that the tutorials were a little long in the tooth. They needed some love. We needed to make sure that the patience of maybe new free-to-play uh, players who are coming in through Discovery or finding Trek in some other path, we wanted to make sure that when they came in, they would see something that was the best of what we knew how to do versus stuff that was many years old. When we redid the Discovery tutorial, or rather built it based off of the 2409-2410 tutorial, it was to accomplish that. And it ended up being solid, very solid. And then we ended up doing cutscenes and VO for the Romulan stuff, so we felt that we brought that up to, to parity. And then with the Klingon stuff that I'm excited for everybody to be looking at in January, everything from making a brand new Klingon character all the way through the new arc. It is fully playable. We've completely redone. We've remastered the art, the cutscenes, the VO. Anybody who played that Klingon arc, which was, I don't know, 10 years old and didn't show the game in the best light, is going to see a Klingon overhaul that puts the fidelity far closer, if not exceeding, uh, what we did with Discovery. I'm doing it live. Have you heard? Have you heard my Klingon alter ego, Milk Nezer, playing it, playing the entire Klingon arc on Thursday nights? Have you heard of these things? Elio's been strapping <laughs> Klingon makeup on his head and uh, uh, playing through some stuff. John Paladin Klingon makeup right on my forehead. <laughs> it ties into you know something I wanted to do when I, when I got here was it's like the goal was to leave it better than we found it and we knew that we couldn't just work forward to do that but now that we've got uh, the tutorial for Discovery in place for Klingon in place, Romulan in great, great shape. Yeah, we did all that rework of the cutscenes and voiceovers and stuff in Romulan. Yeah. Yeah, so good. We'll probably spin uh, some folks to do maybe the 2409, 2410 tutorial at some point because we still get a lot of players who it looks familiar to them when they come in, so they click it and they just play that. So that'll probably be one of our last near term efforts in the early part of the game and we want to continue with like as you're seeing with um the klingon civil war arc we want to do things that are more for everybody whether it be tfos patrols episodes like we're going to have as part of the uh, anniversary we're going to have a a really nice i was at a review for it today a really nice klingon recruitment event that's going to pair with it Ooh! oh no i'm like man i just made my 42nd character i oh my God! We told you to wait. We said wait until it's done. I know. Well, I know you said that, but I wanted to see it, so I made a new one. Uh. <laughs> 
it's kind of why I'm teasing it now because like as more and more new Klingon stuff shows up in our releases, I think there's a temptation to sort of create a character and bathe in it. And I, I certainly encourage people to do that. But, uh, you know, come anniversary, there will be even more incentive to do so. And I can't wait for you guys to see the redo of the uh, um, the Fakiri content. Uh, it's it's insanely good. It's really, really good. It's, it's so good. Oh, man, I'm so excited. <laughs> I mean, I'm glad I made a Cardassian, but dang it, I'm about to make another Klingon. <laughs> I, I, I just halted progress on every new Klingon. Well, I tried, and then there's an XP week. Weekend, so I had to level her up. <laughs> so, oh, well. yeah. yeah that's oh, funny. well. <laughs> Another semi spoiler, but uh, it's not bad what you're doing. I will say that because um, there will be certain credentials that are required, but um, in the very near future, what you saw. We're, we're, we're giving this one away. We're, we're giving this one away. Give it away. <laughs> give it away. I think it's okay. We're, we're pretty close up. Uh, uh, you gotta get people something right it's if you saw what happened with the titan there will be a whole lot of that going on very very soon across on a, on a scale wider than you're thinking of if you think if you're thinking the, the, think about what you're thinking about come on are you tearing down the red blue wall mm-hmm. uh well, oh, well, man. well so all right all right all right so i i get it all right we won't we won't we won't go into it we won't go we won't go into too much detail obviously we gotta you know be excited about everything but you brought up the titan so i'm gonna ask a quick follow-up question was it an accident or was it a test yes all right there we go <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was a happy it, accident. I mean, yeah, it was it was a happy accident. For all I know, you know, we've been talking so much about where we're taking this that it may have just been a, a serendipitous slip. You know, I mean, in the end, it's a fantastic tease of of something we're up to. You know, the truth is, yes initially it was unintentional but um it could have easily been quickly reversed but in light of what's about to happen uh we decided to uh let let it ride it just seemed like it'd be taking something away you know then it's like yeah just let them have it let them have fun <laughs> plus this way well i appreciate it and i definitely appreciate it plus this way qa gets a lot more time to uh to collect bugs from the players nice. <laughs> that's an excellent way of thinking about it you know and it's fun look man for rp purposes i'm in full klingon regalia makeup i just said i stole it i stole it from a federation officer that's how that's what i'm explaining it that's what we said andre, andre that morning was like okay so what are we going to say about this and i was like so klingons have conducted a daring raid on the starfleet ship facility and come away with this a fleet of titans that works we're done mine did mine did <laughs> because i play a lot of science and i play a lot of kdf and it was amazing but we're super encouraged and we think um and it all ties together with the with the recruitment all the new content i'd like to believe it's going to be well received and i feel like it's um would you do this if you were a year in or two i don't i don't know would you even design it to have that division if it were a game today i don't know yeah i think if we started over we probably wouldn't but you know exactly so, you know, kind of opening up and letting everybody who's been on the journey sort of celebrate however they choose. It, it felt like the right time. It's your Star Trek experience. So live the dream you want to live, basically. <laughs> well, PS5 and Xbox are the hot new holiday item this year. Where do you see Stowe fitting into the next gen console landscape? I mean, we're already on them, right? <laughs> 
Well, here's where we are today. I was one of the, the fortunate few who, in years past, I've always, you know, many times I've waited to like, oh, I'll find one at retail. I'll do, and, and and I decided like, you know what? There's a pre-order. It's early enough. I'm just going to jump in because I know I'm going to regret it if I don't. So I went early, got in, got a PS5. Even though we're not actively working on PS5 features for Stowe right now or or X, or Xbox, we did want to see sort of like, well, how, how does it behave? On, on the new boxes. So Stowe was the very first thing I fired up on, on the PS5. And I went to a couple of the TFOs that we know really push our entity counts and have a lot of effects and things going on screen. Queued up and played um, played a few of those. You know, some of the performance hitches that we've seen, I don't know, are we calling it last gen yet or is it, is it too fresh, you know? But like... <laughs> I know, it, it's weird. So, you know, playing some of that content on PS4, it's fine. But, you know, seeing it on PS5 where there's actually no impact to frame rate whatsoever, it was a pleasant surprise to see still running so smooth. And, I, and I, my understanding is that Neverwinter is experiencing the same. So the hardware alone is giving us a really nice boost. I think for us to take a formal step to a PS5, to a, to a new current gen platform, I think you know we'd want to put a lot of thought into, if you think about it, Stowe's obviously been running a very long time, and I think we'd have to do a careful evaluation on what things do we think this iteration of, of the Stowe engine, you know, what, what parts of, of next gen hardware do we actually think that we can push it, and what do we push, and you know which things are going to be work in harmony with one another, because you could isolation say, hey, let's redo all of our characters, for instance. But then have you now created contrast that isn't pleasant with the world and things like that? So long story short, I do think in the foreseeable future, we need to do an audit on how Stowe could best migrate to native uh, new console. But right now we're just enjoying the hell out of the fact that um, it seems to run incredibly smooth on the new hardware. Let me ask you a follow up. COVID has forced technology to advance quickly, right? And I know that there were existing limitations, The that it just was not possible a year or two ago when you guys first moved over to console that there would be an idea, even the, the, the faintest thought of cross-platform. Has anything happened in this year that, you know, either Microsoft or Sony has said, you know, we may be able to cross-platform so that people on PC can play with people on console? I mean, I wish I wish I had a, a, a positive answer. I don't I don't have much of an answer, unfortunately, at all. The reality is the crossplay for Stowe. I don't know what the likelihood is. I think you know because the thing is when you if you played both, like the UI, the UX, like like so much on the client side of the experience is different between the platforms. And by platforms, I mean just console and PC. It's so different that I don't even know what the what the undertaking might look like for there to be some intermediary, something that that marries you know all the players to be able to do that. I think it would be awesome because more players, it's just it's just better. But if I had to take a wild you know a wild guess, being a more mature engine and the limited sort of knowledge that we have over sort of uh, the power of the new hardware, you know, we're going to have to take some steps and figure out. What, what's possible. I think it'd be awesome. I, I just don't know what um, if we can do it. Now, what about cloud gaming? So, for instance, uh, Xbox Cloud, Xbox Game Pass is doing remarkably well. You know, it seems to be putting games in the hands of gamers who are on the go. I don't think Sony has an equivalent yet, 
but uh, has there been thought of adding Stowe into the uh, into the cloud library for Xbox? Well, it's come up very loosely, you know, more more as a wouldn't it be cool if than an actual tactical plan. You know, obviously our game runs on the client, but is server authoritative in terms of like items, purchases, things like that. I don't know how nicely games like that play uh, in the cloud. I think, again, there's still more discovery for us to do there. And truth be told, if I were a gambling man, I would say, you know, maybe Magic will try some of those things. I don't know for certain, but but uh, I, I don't know. You know, it's it's. I wish I had a better answer for for that. But some of the time- I, I won't lie. I'd love to. I'd love to play Star Trek. Like just you know, be able to. I've been doing Arkham, Batman Arkham. Like I've just been toying around with Game Pass, uh, just to see how it performs on an Android device with a controller. And and I was like, you know what, I'd love to do duty is- officer missions. <laughs> <laughs> well, that kind of stuff, like duty officers, um, admiralty, like all that stuff, you know, could could translate well. And, and we've seen that with like adaptations of console and PC games to mobile and stuff like that. I'm just not certain with the, you know, Stowe was developed in a, obviously many years ago. In a very different world. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, in a very different world where it's very UI rich. Like there are lots of buttons and lots of info. And when you look at, uh, you know, games that have been developed in the last, you know, handful of years, a lot of them have gone more minimalist. It's like only showing you what you need, when you need to see it, or tucking everything behind button presses to where you... It, the information you're gonna that you're seeking is on demand, but it's not always there. So, you know, as I think about sort of a, a cross play or a cloud play of, of any sort for Stowe, I think there there's UI to consider and just sort of like how do you make sure that that the experience is is at parity with anybody who might be playing with each other, of course. You know, Andre, we've come to a point where I think we've covered all these core questions, and we definitely, as much as we'd love to take up your entire evening, I know that you also have responsibility so we want to leave the mic open to you uh, andre and mike a year in review 2020 is about to come to a close we're looking ahead at 2021 and you've already given us some amazing information that i'm sure is going to excite so many players the mic is open to you is there anything that we did not talk about that you were kind of eager to discuss with us well mike we got a list of things we do yeah <laughs> you want to go you want to go through our list fire them off and you uh you fire them off and i'll do color commentary where okay all right, hold on. Let me oh pull God, up the, the list. list. Oh, God, where did the this list This is so exciting. I didn't know there was a list. I, You know what? Moving forward now, I'm going to have to ask Mike to send me a list of questions ahead of time. No, this is actually uh, this is one of my favorite things about Andre is that every time we do one of these or he comes on my stream, he wants to have a meeting in advance to like talk about all of the uh, the stuff we want to go over. Just because he wants to, he really wants to make sure he gets it right. <laughs> and I love that's that. Awesome. Then I appreciate that. Thank you. Also, too, what, one of the things that's that's fascinating, and there aren't too many people that have experienced what we're experiencing in Stowe. When you think about a game that has the the loyal fan base that it has, um, that's been running as long as it has you start to move into very unique territory and we've got players that have been with the game way longer than i've worked on it we've got players that have been here you know since the beginning so we have to look at things through you know potentially a, a different lens maybe than than other games have to so we're constantly looking at as i talked about we like to work backwards so we're ground ground doing groundskeeping on on the older parts of the experience 
while we're building new things for fans that have already been on the journey. And we also think about sort of the innovations and, and quality of life things because there's no shortage. When, when you've got a game, when you look at the square footage of Stowe at this point, it's an enormous game. As a matter of fact, it was just sent my way. We were on, um, maybe Mike remembers the outlet. Uh, massively OP. The one before that where we were listed as like, it was like games bigger uh, than Skyrim. <laughs> we, were, we were rated uh, number seven or something. Wow. About, about how massive, literally just in square footage, the game is. And Although uh, it's kind of cheating when you have a galaxy. <laughs> but hey, that, that's what we signed up for. But yeah, exactly. Sometimes that cheat works in your favor. But what's interesting, and, and the point I was, I was going to make was that it's so big now that like trying to care for all of it is a huge undertaking. So that's why we appreciate so much when, when our players send notes to Mike or customer service or anybody they can sort of reach and say, hey, this mission has an issue or whatever, because... If we were constantly trying to, to validate that every single thing worked perfectly all the time, like there's no amount of staff or hours in the day that I think could reasonably pull that off with the frequency that we're doing new builds. So it just, it doesn't work out. So we're always talking about working backwards, you know, clean up the old stuff. We're always building new stuff. And then we're trying to think of those ways to, you know, what are some of those minor to major inconveniences that players endure and stuff like that? And, and what can we do? to improve those or at least make them right. So, you know, we've worked on, um, one example would be we moved all the T1 to T5 ships. We moved them out of the Zen store. We put them all into game currency. So anybody chasing those down, they're far more accessible than they've ever been. Yeah. Uh, we wanted to talk about the, you know, the auto acquisition of Admiralty cards thing we did earlier this year. That's one of those things. Uh, of... Amazing. <laughs> so magical. And I was going to say my favorite, the fill all button. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's just one of those things where, like, because the developers really love and care about this game and really love and care about the IP and all of that, you know, as they're playing, they'll run into stuff that frustrates them. And sometimes I don't even have to tell them. Sometimes I'll be like, hey, you know, this is kind of annoying. They're like, oh, God, I know. And sometimes they've already fixed it before I could tell them. Um, it's it's fabulous. Oh, yeah, the Admiralty thing. That was amazing. You said those three letters, and I, I, I'm going to have to ask a follow-up on it, the, the QOL, quality of life, right? Um, it is. It must be a massive undertaking. And just this last just a month ago, not even, you know, we, we saw the update to the um, loadout system, right, or how you can save loadouts and how that expanded in balancing new content that is playable like a TFO or missions or whatnot, storyline missions balancing that between quality of life endeavors like improving the way loadouts are saved or admiralty cards, things like that. How do you find how do you find balance between that right? You know, because it's a lot to create a mission, it's a lot to do voiceover work and then it's also a lot to engineer I presume to fix these things. So talk to us a little bit about that hemming and hawing between the two. The real person who uh, whose praises we should be singing about this is uh, Jared, who is our lead producer, uh, who puts together the schedule every month and every year and all of that. He's kind of the uh, the guy who makes all the magic happen. But it's also, you know, one of the things that because not many people understand game development that well, because it's just such a new industry still, a lot of times it's it's harder to understand who does what and goes where. Um, 
the thing that you mentioned about the story missions take up a lot of time, they do. Our environment artists and our content designers start working on the next mission pretty much the day the old mission goes out, uh, probably sometimes even a few weeks before, mm -hmm. and then are working right up until the next set of missions goes out. And then the stuff that's in between, you know, like the new ships that the ship artists and system designers work on, quality of life changes that systems and our programmers work on, you know, all of that is stuff that comes when, you know, either when it's scheduled to be worked on or sometimes a lot of times when people dive into and have the free time to jump on it if they're frustrated by it and want to get it done. And uh, absolutely, uh, kudos to Jared. And one of the things that we do is we will collect from anyone anyone in the building and certainly anyone on the team, no commitments, but but what is sort of like our grab bag of quality of life, innovations? What kind of things would you be excited? What are you hearing players? What are the pain points? And so- I think I sent Andre a 20 page list. <laughs> <laughs> Even though we try to prioritize it, a lot of times which one we take off the top comes down to, as Mike was alluding to, who's available. You know, it's like if engineering's running into a snag with something they're working on, you know, we might, uh, focus on something that that environment or, or systems can do to improve the game. It all comes down to sort of who's available. And when we look at any particular quality of life feature that we'd like to do, we sort of assess which groups it's going to hit and sort of like what the cost is. Because the last thing we want to do is have a quality of life that's actually creates more problems. Yeah. So we try to be quite selective about it. Even simple things like adding more filters and search options. You know, it's like things like that can keep your play session more about the game and less about busy work so we, we're always trying to you know determine more and more things and and in parallel with that it's a little bit of a shifting gears but like the other thing that I'm, I'm really focused on too is there's always sort of a, a player sentiment there's always sort of a feedback that it's like I, I don't you know if you guys made more ships available you know for me to play and earn or buy I would just buy them outright so you know one of the things that that we we try to remind players of is that between our new four-week season events and our and our summer and winter event and our anniversary event, we've had more ways to earn T6 ships without spending a dime than, than ever before in the game's history. Uh, we also introduced legendary ships this year, which put iconic ships into players' hands for the first time, many of which either don't uh, engage in sort of promos and things like that, which is perfectly fine. I want to continue, and like if you look at ships of the line bundles that we've been putting out you look at the legendaries you look at the promo or lockbox ship that will be part of the next uh, event campaign next year we're constantly coming up with more and more ways to put these iconic ships into people's hands for that fantasy fulfillment so it's something that that really never escapes our thought and we will continue to find ways to to try to be as fair as possible to make these opportunities there for everybody while still keeping a healthy business. Anything else on that list, Mike? Oh, uh, let's see. Oh, do you want to talk about how uh, the character boost packs have been doing? I know that was exciting to you. Yeah, that was good. Like, we put those out. Um, you know, there were... There this is like the boost of Discovery character and boost of Romulan to 65. Yeah, and like the feelings before they went out were kind of mixed. They're like, well, it's not that hard to level in this game. And then every once in a while, you'd see a comment saying, yeah, but some people have more time than others. And that's kind of where we were. It's like, we try not to think too much about should players play Play this should they buy this you know it's like we try to think like when you think about how to create paths for players you know it's like 
a character boost clearly isn't for everybody. There's some people that have lots of time or just want to play through everything and enjoy it and take the journey. There are other people that are like, well, I want to play with my friends or I want to see what the hubbub's about. So I want to get to, I want to get this character through a bunch of that and then maybe come back and, and backfill and play through narrative content and things like that after I've sort of, I've unlocked more things for my character. I'm more powerful. Maybe it makes the content more exciting or easier for you. It was interesting when we put these out because I had no expectation of what it could do for a game that's been live this long. And when we saw the level of of engagement with the Romulan boost, there are many, many characters who have hundreds of hours of play. And the last I looked, the average amount of play for somebody who boosted a Romulan, it was, it's probably much higher now, but it was in the like mid 20. People were playing on a boosted character more than two or three times the entire running time of, of other games, you know, some games. So because of that, we're like, well, it was relatively, now that we built it, extending this to other factions is relatively easy. So we'll continue to, to roll those out just because, you know, the engagement's just been through the roof. And the most recent, the Discovery Boost, obviously hasn't been out as long as the Ron We're seeing enormous amount of engagement on that now, too. The sheer amount of, of play is just, it's overwhelming. We're very thankful. I was like, I got the Romulan Boost. I for sure did not need to make another Romulan but I wanted to because I wanted all the stuff. <laughs> well, and, and part of the reason we did Romulan too is because we never properly sort of celebrated the overhaul of what we did for that. Like we originally had plans that after after we did the cutscenes and, and voiced it all, because a lot of it was never voiced, you know, we thought about saying, well, maybe let's do a special Romulan event or something to draw attention to all the work that's gone into it. But at the time, we were already moving on to, to other things. So... All this stuff happened, and other than maybe a blog po a post and, a, and some some online chatter, I don't know how many people even knew that that stuff wasn't voiced and that we did that and did the cutscenes and and really really spit shined that whole progression. It's fantastic. I mean, that's always been my favorite uh, storyline to play of all my characters. It looks amazing and it's so interesting and it's so well done. It's definitely the most like original STO story that we have. You know, it's it's the most completely different from anything you'll see on a, on a Star Trek TV show. That's what I like about it. Yeah, I love it. I love it. Those are my favorite characters to play. Well, I think from some of the, the feedback we've gotten, for players who, who elected to chase this down, they ended up like getting the character, they ended up getting all the goodies like you mentioned, and you're able to sort of like go, if you've never played it or even if you have, you get to play from the beginning to current being sort of OP and flashy. Especially for somebody who's already seen the content and played it maybe once or many times to be able just to go in there and like all you guys that gave me a hard time while I was leveling I'm just gonna blow the heck out of you um, <laughs> it, it always feels good to sort of you know OP your way back through stuff that gave you a hard time um, I think the only other thing that you had wanted to cover Andre was our answer to Elio's question about things we would have done different uh, which is about doing um, different choices uh, or multiple choices for events yeah and it's not even like a regret type of thing it's like things that, that could have been 
done differently that we intend to do differently moving forward. We've had a lot of events that were anchored by a single piece of content. And there's been a couple of occasions where there were issues with that single piece of content. Synth wave. Sorry. Something in my throat. <laughs> so we end up doing stuff like granting progress or extending events and like like kind of sloppy workarounds to, to try to make sure that we, we do right by the players and give them the opportunity to complete the event. You know, we started evaluating like, well, what can we do to make sure our events are more stable and all that? But then it really sort of hit us that, well, we should be giving players, not, not only should it be stable, but we should be giving players more to do because not everybody necessarily, you know, wants to play an episode or a TFO or a patrol or whatever. So I think you're going to see, uh, certainly with anniversary and moving forward, you're going to see more content choices in an event. You know, because we've heard reports of just sort of burnout and stuff like that. And, and our intent has never been just to, you know, take one, love our new thing, love our new thing. It's like, we, we are going to try to mix it up. Um, we've talked about all sorts of features too, like um, TFO playlists, patrol playlists. Those, those are a little bit, they need more time in the oven. But our events themselves, uh, we are aiming to offer more types of content to go in, whether it's multiple TFOs, whether it's a TFO and a couple of patrols, whether it's a, a TFO with a couple of episodes that may have tie-ins to the narrative of the TFO. We just want to give players more choices so that um, the events generate less fatigue. And we've also got a lot of content that, you know, other than the Endeavor system, uh, that's old content, quote-unquote, but really good content that we want to introduce people to. And so, you know, if um, the TFO is something that includes, you know, like Seven of Nine, we might throw like infected space in there or something like that, you know, just to just to give people more options of things to run to get the event progress, both so that you can have some variety in your STO gameplay, but also so that, you know, if something breaks, you're not stuck forever. And it's certainly a way for us to showcase some of the lesser known stuff where you can prove cutscenes or we revoice them or we've tweaked the balancing or maybe we found a bug that was hindering the fun factor in some way. So it's a way to sort of draw attention to something that we've we've improved upon or that fans already like and expand the event to where there's less fatigue. Options are always nice. <laughs> well, Mike, Andre, thank you both so very much for spending your evening with us on our last episode of 2020 here for Priority One Podcast. There was so much good content that you dropped and shared with us that I'm sure players are going to be super excited to hear about. I hope that you have a wonderful holiday. I hope you guys get a break. I think now you guys kind of take some time off now after this crazy year and and then hit hit the ground running right once once this week is done i can relax <laughs> good well thank you both so very much and thank you guys for having us on indeed it's like it's our pleasure and to be able to sort of share with the fans and you guys and all the players like like what we're doing where we're heading it's always a lot of fun and we look forward to uh you know doing some great stuff next year too well we appreciate you taking the time to come talk to us thank you now let's look on screen and see what's incoming on screen. Computer. Set Star Trek Discovery Season 3, Episode 9, Terra Firma, Part 1. On screen. 
This week on Star Trek Discovery, the Admiral tells Saru to do whatever Michael wants. The Discovery leaves an important Starfleet crisis behind to deal with the needs of the one. And the crew does the bidding of whatever sentient computer or mysterious alien tells them to do. There were a couple of new things, though. First, there's a trip to the Mirror Universe. And the Kelpians were sending the distress signal at the burn origin point. Next week, part two. All right, Captains, let's get some statistics out of the way. This episode was written by Boy Young Kim and Erica Lippold. Directed by Omar Mada. It originally aired on Thursday, December 10th, 2020 in the United States. All right. This is going to be our last public review of Star Trek Discovery for two weeks until we get back in 2021. Our patrons, the plan is that you will still get reviews. Nothing will change for After Hours. So there will be After Hours happening on Tuesday nights that I'll publish later for our patrons. So that'll continue. But when we get back, two episodes will have passed. So for us and for the people listening, it's the last episode of the year from of our reviews. Tony. Why don't you talk to us about what you thought about this episode? I didn't. Watch it? No, I watched you it. You didn't think about it? I didn't think about it. You didn't think about it. Okay. All no, right. No. Um, I, I kind of I kind of gave up. <gasps> fair enough. I you know what? I kind of feel you, man. I kind of feel you. There's a part of me that's debating if on screen is going to return in 2021. This segment. I'm debating. Are you? Uh, all right, Kat, let's let's jump to you. What were your overall thoughts of this? I, I, this is my favorite episode because, man, I love the Mirror Universe. Even if it's an imaginary Mirror Universe. You kind of nailed it for me, Kat, right there. Just because normally, usually, the Mirror Universe episodes are like a treat, right? It's like the cast gets to throw off the their usual conventions and they get it like just like go crazy, right? They just get like like just let it all go and just it just have some fun with it. Like imagine your character but like the opposite and go nuts with it, right? This one is just like they go nuts all the time already now. Detmer's having nervous breakdowns. Michael is like, you know, off her she's changed, you know. It's been a year. She's changed a lot. <laughs> you know, it's like we see people go off their rockers and cry and scream and shout every week now. And so now they just do it in gold plating. Okay. Yeah, but they do it evilly. Oh, right. And in purple lipstick. Yeah. Okay. You know what? That's uh, a good point, yeah. though. We have in series past seen a juxtaposition. There's been a clear difference between the characters that we've come to know and love and then their counterparts. And it becomes a fun episode, right? I think of Enterprise. Enterprise. Through a mirror darkly. In, mm. Yeah, I think enjoyed it the most. Oh, they just just threw themselves yes, at it. Yes, yeah. DS9, and, the same thing. I mean, mm. they threw themselves at it. I think we're still on this journey of discovery, haha, no pun intended, no. with the bridge crew. It wasn't until this season and the end of last season that we started to get that sense of the bridge crew, learning about these different people and giving them more than three words per episode, that this does feel a little... It doesn't feel as fun. I can I can understand that. Kat, anything else? I loved to see Killy. I've just, yeah, I love the outfits. I love the mirror universe, even though it was imaginary, probably, and supposed to be fixing Giorgio, which that's a whole other issue. But we got to see more David Cronenberg, oh. and his scenes are always delightful. That's good. Yes. I mean, that's gives us the best dialogue, the most cohesive, you know, well-written aspects of the show. Let's do that, then. Let's talk a little bit about the episode in terms of... It's 
position in lore. So the episode opens up with Cronenberg's character, Kovic, explaining these things that happened during the temporal Cold Wars. And I wrote down four points. It was a brief scene, but there was a lot to unpack. First off, they know about Spock traveling into the Kelvin universe. They're aware of it because he explains that Yor crossed into the future, went ahead into the future, and then crossed over as a result of a Romulan mining ship. They don't. He doesn't say the Narada. He call. He refers to a, a yeah, Romulan yeah. mining ship. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean you know that Spock crossed over too. I guess not. He, he knows that that universe exists. Ex- yeah, office. yeah. All right. So, all right. So, okay. It could be a stretch to interpret it as they know about Spock having gone over there, but they know about the Kelvin universe, right? Our prime universe is aware of the Kelvin universe. Yes. Which means that the Kelvin universe is another mirror universe. It is Earth. C dimension 137 that Rick Sanchez crosses over, <laughs> you know, whenever he wants. You've got the mirror universe and you've got Kelvin universe. It right. is Yet not- another reason why Mike McMahon should be the runner of the, the keeper of Star Trek lore because he gets Maybe. the Rick and Morty multidimensional thing. Right? And then he, they kind of set us up to the concept as as watchers, as viewers, that we can't go back to the Kelvin universe. That's never happening again. It's ironclad. He describes this oh, don't uh, even start interdimensional displacement restriction that's ironclad right so yeah how do we feel about that i kind of feel like they shoehorned the kelvin thing a little bit yeah 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 a lot a lot bit i've mm, how much time do we have (laughs) so episode so okay well a couple things just i'll try to be as brief as possible a couple things i'm about sick of the temporal accords thing we just talked about some of the one of the good things they took from enterprise season four enterprise some of the best track ever filmed right the mirror universe thing awesome bit they take the worst bit of Enterprise, the temporal Cold War, and they stick this in here. And they've been doing it all season long with these temporal accords thing. They just throw them out there for ridiculous reasons, like the past can't interfere with the future. We, you know, temporal accords say you can't do that. What? But then, then, and then they put an addendum on there because we want to introduce another rule that says we can't do dimensional things. Okay, fine. Let me just ask a quick question. Who's enforcing these temporal accords? The Federation's kaput. Their main rival is a criminal gang. Well, the it, maybe, maybe it's Carl. Carl's when uh, Sonequa Martin-Green says, Philippa, did you do that? It's not my work you're seeing here. So it's run by a guy in a bowler hat. Well, all right. So let's now let's move into that. Let's move on to Carl because can we, can we, there's a, we're skipping a step. Okay, go ahead. Because the magic computer said go to this place. Didn't tell him why. Didn't tell him what for. Didn't want to tell him what to expect him to find. The computer says go there. So we'll just do that. That it, therein lies a problem that I have with this season as a whole, which I'll get to in a second. But let's okay. let's try to overlook that for a moment. I'll try so hard. <laughs> so we get to we get to Danis Five, which is the winter version of the pilot episode of discovery yes right mm-hmm. so we see that juxtaposition have you ever She's... seen the more desolate planet ever yeah right in the pilot yeah. you sure did remember you walked around with the insignia <laughs> with prime with yeah. prime Giorgio, right yeah oh uh, well i guess that's a good point it wasn't actually her okay. right all right i stand correct so we're on dan is five and we meet carl now for a moment for a brief moment i was charmed by it i really like i was charmed second. by the episode up until the moment she walked through the door and i was charmed by by Carl. First of all, if you didn't notice, he's reading the Star Dispatch. The, the newspaper he's reading is the same publication as the one scene where Edith Keeler's dead. 
right? It's mm-hmm. the same newspaper from from. Oh, that's America. a fun callback. Yes. Yeah, I noticed oh. that. We are dealing with a alien species that is on par with Q, the Guardian of Forever, Adonis. You know what the comic book, the IDW series, ended up doing with the the Q War, right? Uh, just a quick question: It was the same newspaper that Edith Keeler. That Edith it was Keeler the same publication. That- so it's the Star Dispatch. So I was charmed up up until she walks through the door. This is cutesy charm, uh, like in TOS. I can, I, I kind of dig it. But the writers, it was like they read the memory alpha of those episodes and what Q is and what the Guardian of Forever. It's like they read the memory alpha and then we're like, okay, we'll do something with that. And we're going to write uh, Carl. We're going to write Carl. Then after we get into the Mirror Universe, uh, Kat, I know you love it. I know you absolutely love when they go into the Mirror Universe and stuff. But I will say this. The writing in Star Trek Online's trip to Rock Lobster Planet with Burnham and Seven of Nine, Mm -hmm. that story was much better than what we started to see in Terra Firma Part 1. Terra Firma. Yeah, well, I thought it was like Giorgio healing herself, so it's just her trying to work out, you know, her actions of that day. So I don't know that it's a real mirror universe. It's just her vision of it. Right, so didn't that make you feel like you were replaying that mission that we did with Burnham and Seven of Nine where we're redoing all these things from Discovery? Uh, yeah. You know the mission I'm talking about, right? On, of course, yes. With but Lincoln. Y- yeah, I mean... But I thought the point was that uh, Giorgio is experiencing this sickness, and this is the way for her to uh, resolve her issues that are pulling her dimensionally and across time or whatever's happening with her body. I really hope that is the case, that this is a simulacra, a simulation thing. No. You say not, you say no, right? And it's funny you say no, because I got a real hearty laugh going over to Memory Alpha reading up on Mirror Stamets, because I thought... I remember thinking to myself, wait a minute, Mirror Stamets plays an integral role in season one of Discovery in getting our Stamets back and discovering the rotting of the mycelial network. And yet in this episode, he gets stabbed in the throat Mm -hmm. to which I go, well, that screws up everything. So are they throwing their own cannon in a blender? And then I went to Memory Alpha and Memory Alpha did a, a bang up job spinning it because they were like alternate universe mirror stamets and i got a good laugh out of that because i think they're holding the writers too high we're in too high regard uh, it's at least possible and, and correct me if there's something i'm missing here that the mirror stamets because mirror stamets died in the episode with Lorca, right in season one then they zap later, him? later 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 oh. later after he got after he came prime back. Stamets to fix the problem by blowing up the Charon because of the thing. I, I mean, that's that that's I mean, I think that's kind of the point. She's trying to change what happened. She's like, this is, you know, she's trying to change it. Maybe it'll wind up like tapestry, right? It'll wind up like it'll wind mm. up, you know, this is, you know, the it's a wonderful life. You know, it'll be it'll be that kind of thing. I I, I don't know. This see this is why this is why this what like I said at the top, I just stopped thinking about it. Because either it's gonna be a reset thing <laughs> or it's going to be in her head or they just don't care about their own canon and throw it in a blender. It's just, I mean, they just, the mirror episodes are supposed to be fun, right? They're supposed to be kind of throwaway episodes, right? They're just supposed to be, let's explore what our characters would be like if everything was opposite. But they're trying to hook the things in too much. And I think that's where it loses a lot of the fun. And plus to your point about the bridge crew, we don't, we don't know them very well. That's spot on too. It's like maybe, maybe Awashikun really is kind of a jerk and wants to beat up Reese. Maybe that's really how she is. Yeah, no, right? She was badass though, man. 
But we were missing we were we were missing Lorca and I really wanted to see some Lorca. I was hoping for a cameo uh, as well. Me too. Now <laughs> they, they if they said his name one more time, if they say his name one more time in part two of this without Jason Isaacs coming back, I, I'm going to throw something at the television. Because Rekha Sharma came back. Did you see Rekha Sharma? Did. I did. I saw she Landry. Came back. She had some cameos. I saw Landry. <laughs> so I really hope they're setting us up for yes. a, a cameo appearance by Jason, Jason Isaacs. I Me really too. hope that they are. I second wholly now, second that. <laughs> Gray in the chat is saying, hey, let's not crap on the writers until we see the next episode. Here's the thing. You as the audience are not going to hear our next two episode reviews unless you subscribe to us on Patreon uh, at the $10 level. Level. That's two plugs in one segment. Real. I don't know that when we come back in 2021, we're still even going to review Star Trek for on screen, and we might keep the reviews just for our patrons. We're nine episodes in, and I have no idea what the season's about. Like, where? Who's the villain? What's the conflict? What's the goal? If plot is a ball thrown in the air to a ca- another catcher, I don't know where we are on the peak of this arch before yeah, the ball we, starts like, is it to come back. Upswing? Are we in the middle? Is it downswing? Yeah, I don't know. Did I don't, someone throw I mean, it over the fence? We got to go climb the fence. And, and get the balls from some other else's yard. I just think I that, uh, like, you know, where I have questions. What's up with the AI in the in the computer? Why, you know, why aren't we exploring that more? I figured out what they're doing with Saru. What? Going to make soup out of him? No, it oh. is. So, so we were talking a few episodes ago about how Saru is very green. The Admiral said so. Almost to the point of incompetence. But what they're trying to do, I think, is juxtapose this captain to all the other captains that we've seen in past Star Treks. This is not, Saru is not yet a Kirk. He is not yet a Cisco. He is not yet a Picard, a Janeway. He's not yet any of these captains who were seasoned and ready to, you know, ready to go from the moment the camera started rolling. And I can appreciate that if they figured out how to do it a little better, where it doesn't seem like he's incompetent and just inexperienced. Maybe not incompetent, but very, very insecure. Again, these episodes, the mirror episodes are supposed to be just fun, lighthearted, just... But I'm not even talking about the mirror episodes. I'm talking about before we went into the mirror. Oh, with how Saru's uh, dealing with stuff? Yeah, how Saru, as the captain, deals with things. No, I mean, I think you're right. Like, he's learning his way. I mean, everybody's kind of thrown into this whole new experience. But, yeah, some of this stuff is not necessary to... I'm like, he's still... He was way more commanding even before he was the actual captain. (laughs) Right, right, right. That's for sure. Yes. That's all we got to say. For more great reviews, captains, check us out over at Patreon. Patreon.com forward slash priority one. You know, if you're interested in our ongoing reviews of Discovery over the next two weeks, it's $10 a month. That's all it is. You get after hours with a slew of guests and voices participating in the conversation. So we get many more opinions and many more viewpoints. That wraps up this week's on screen for Star Trek Discovery. Now let's open hailing frequencies and see what's incoming. Message coming in, sir. Hailing frequencies. Open. See, we are getting to know each other. Well, Captains, hailing frequencies are now open and we're ready to receive all of your incoming messages. Last week's community question was, are you more excited for Discovery Season 4, Picard Season 2, Lower Decks Season 2, or the Orville Season 3? On Twitter, back to Babylon 5 writes, Lower Decks Season 2 is what I'm looking forward to the most. Picard's first season was disappointing despite a few good bits. Discovery's first two seasons wasted a great cast and characters and some fine production values on mediocre 
writing. And I've only seen bits of the Orville. Back to Babylon, you gotta watch Orville. Gotta watch Orville. Ken from Chicago writes it and says, Strange New World Season 1, but from the choices you gave, Picard Season 2, because it's the shortest wait, while Orville Season 2 is epic, both it and Season 1 had some serious sexual harassment of the captain's ex-wife that was played for laughs. Golden Force 772 replies, I wouldn't hold my breath on the Orville. Most likely Discovery, oddly enough. Bravo Mark Press wrote, My order, most to least, Orville 3, Lower Decks 2, Discovery 4, Picard 2. I, I'm with you on that one, Bravo Mark. I might reverse Lower Decks and Orville, maybe, but it's close. It's so it's really close. Really close. Well, that wraps up episode 490 of Priority One, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. But there are more great shows available to you on the Roddenberry Podcast Network. Just visit podcasts.roddenberry.com for a complete list. Then be sure to subscribe to them all and share them with your friends. And we can't forget to send a special thanks to some of our Patreon supporters like David K. Rutley, Peter Archibald, and Gerald Bosch. And here's a reminder of our community question this week. What do you think of the Emerald Chain? Are they menacing or do they leave something to be desired? And in gaming news, are there any ships that have yet to be ported over for our Romulan and Geminar friends that you'd be eager to fly? Captains, it's important to us that you get your voice heard and that you participate in our conversation. Leave us a comment on our website at PriorityOnePodcast.com, on our Facebook page at Facebook.com forward slash PriorityOnePodcast, or you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at PriorityOnePod. And if you're still craving more, be sure to spend time with Winters, Anthony, Gray, Panda, me, plus the rest of the Priority One Armada. Saturday nights, the Armada broadcasts live to review the latest news from Star Trek Online and the Armada community, including spotlighting some of our amazing members. With regular giveaways, there's something for all Star Trek Online players, whether you're new or a veteran. Follow us on all our social media accounts for broadcast times, and if you'd like to join the Armada, visit PriorityOneArmada.com. Captains, I've said it before that this production is community-driven both by the team that helps produce it each and every week and by you, our patrons, through patreon.com. As we move into the new year, you may want to consider joining the Patreon family and getting exclusive content early, like interviews or an entirely separate podcast that we call After Hours. Check us out over at patreon.com forward slash priority one. Don't forget to tune in to Priority One Productions Guard Frequency Podcast at guardfrequency.com. Each episode, the guard will take you inside the universe of your favorite space sims, including a tabletop adventure played out by your hosts. And Heroes Rise brings you up to date with the world of Dungeons and Dragons. Learn all about the latest publications, tools, tips, tricks, and traps in less time than it takes to skid on live earn. Head over to HeroesRisePodcast.com to discover their secrets. Thanks to our audio editors, including Gray, William, Rand, Daniel, Roscoe, Lennon, and Skiffy, and, of course, Brandon, for not only being an audio editor, but acting as our live stream technician. Thanks, guys glad to be here. Thanks to our producer, Jake, and associate producers, Shane and Thomas. Together, they help us organize and write up our summary of the weekly headlines from the Star Trek multiverse. Thanks to our social media manager, Anthony. Thanks to our graphic artist, Henry, with support from Jason of the Priority One Armada. Thanks to the composer of our theme music, Chris Watts. But most importantly, a big thanks to you, the Star Trek community, our listeners. Because without your ongoing support over the last nine years and beyond, none of this would be possible. Enemy ship on sensors. Red alert. Shields up. Engage.
Transfer complete. All right, here we go. From the top. <clears throat> and don't forget, it's the last episode. Give me huspa. Chutzpah. You need a little chutzpah. Need some, need some, need some chutzpah in there. Chutzpah. Chutzpah. Just at the front. You don't need it at the end. Chutzpah. Some chutzpah. Are you guys excited for the holidays? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll be doing the same thing I usually do. Good banter, guys. That's so great. Let's move on then. You guys are just so just quality banter. Yeah. Hey, forget the banter. It was the worst. It was. Are you guys excited for the holidays? Uh, Uh, sure. uh, Yeah. I like snow and Santa Claus. (laughs) Let us know in the comment section for this episode at PriorityOnePodcast.com or by reply to our community question post on our social. By replying. Okay. You want to put that in there? There we go. (laughs) There. Now that it's in the copy. You need to stop drinking aspartame. Yeah, I, I was reading the copy exactly as written. <laughs> don't bl- don't you go accusing me of lesioned brainage, <laughs> sir, <laughs> sir. <laughs> the production of Star Trek: Strange New Worlds. Pre-production. Okay, the pre-production, but now he was I, worried about Mississauga. Mississauga, Mississauga. Okay, quote the pre. <laughs> Quote, the pre-production of Star Trek Strange New Worlds in Mississauga, Canada. Filming will begin in mid-February 2021. End quote. Might be Mississauga. Mississauga. Yeah, you're right. It's Mississauga. Mississauga. There are any Canadians. Can we get a ruling? Now, Star Trek has its own mysterious stranger. And just like so many others, he's a riddle. We're, of course, talking about David Cronenberg's Kovic. He's got some chutzpah. Is it Kovic? I think it's Kovic, yeah. Or Kovic. Did I make you spit your wine out, cat? (laughs) (laughs) My work here is done. Everybody hit that like button. Hit that that like button. Hit that share button. It's a good one. At long last, crisp, crisp dick. Crisp dick. Yo, yo, panda. Now I ha- now I know that anytime Crispedic. I read Panda's stuff, I have to like you know rubber baby bump bu- bucky. You see, the tip of the lips, the teeth, the tongue. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, plus the upgrade thingies. Yeah, the, yeah that's the, what sorry, you the, the upgrade coupons. Either way, it's worth it. Get cool. this package. It's All right, awesome. good luck editing that. Whoever I give this to. I'm not a magician, Spock. Just an old country doctor podcast.roddenberry.com The Roddenberry Podcast Network